0: Last week, we started talking about that, and we talked about who the church belongs to, uh, who who it belongs to. It's the Lord's church. It's not mine. It's not yours. It's His. And we talked about how do we handle problems in the church as God builds it, Um, because as God uh, brings us together as sinful and fallen people, there are going to be problems, and uh, uh, if you are looking for a perfect church or a church that never has problems, you will not find them on this side of heaven. Uh, we looked at what does the church look like when it's working like it should. And all of us have probably had a vehicle that, that was driving good, it was running well, and then something kind of got off and it didn't run the same way, it didn't drive well. And so what does the church look like when it's working like it should? And then we looked at how does God keep the church on track because no matter what an organization is uh, or the church, which is an organization and a organism, a group of believers, everything will drift the wrong direction. Uh, It's just like your health. If you stop counting calories and you stop exercising and you just say, you know what, we're on vacation this week, Uh, we're not gonna worry about our diet, we're not gonna worry about exercise, you are going to come back from vacation probably heavier than when you left. It's just the way it is. Uh, In our house, we uh, really try to stick to our monthly budget. We have different accounts and different amounts, and, and we try to keep track of that. But it is proven that if you don't have a budget and you don't keep track, you will spend more. And so anything that is going in a direction will always have a tendency drift. If you take your hands off the wheel on the way home, if your car is in good alignment, it will run straight for a while, but eventually it will begin to drift. And so how does the Lord keep the church on track? And so we began that last week, and uh, we're just going to continue on this week. And tonight I really am going to encourage you to talk. Um, Some of your uh, comments might be very positive. Some of them might be very negative in regards to what you have been through. And if you do not want people to know that it was you that went through it, just say, I had a friend, right? (laughs) I had a friend that went to a church with a terrible pastor or terrible deacons or whatever it is, that is fine. Um, But tonight I want to start, as we're continuing on this, with the people that God uses to serve the church. The people that God uses to serve the church. In the book of Acts, chapter 6, the church is growing so fast. It is astronomical. Uh, Most Bible commentaries believe that the church would have been almost 20,000 people. And so this short little period of time, you go from the 11 apostles to the 120 to a few thousand to 20,000 people. And so it is a wonderful picture of what God is doing, but something begins to happen. In the early church, we didn't have the social nets and things of the day that we have now. And so widows who had either lost their support from their families after they had gotten saved or were just unable to provide for themselves, it was the church's responsibility to take care of them. Now, the Bible also speaks that if a family has an elderly family member, it is first their responsibility to take care of them. But if an elderly person is unable to meet their basic needs and they have no family, it is the church's responsibility. Now, I know we don't like that sometimes, but it is what the Bible says. And so what had happened was, with all of these people, um, a group of them felt they were being left out. Uh, They felt they were not being... um, uh, you know cared for in a way that was fair and so as this disagreement comes to to fruition as there is difficulty in the church uh, the disciples have to make a decision how do we handle this problem how do we handle a good problem but still a problem right what would you think if god saved uh Let's say we're running 450. Uh, We've got about 700 people here roughly, give or take. If God saved 19,300 people and sent them to 10 Mile in the span of months, that's what we're looking at. And so you would say, well, that's amazing. That's awesome. That's wonderful. You ever thought where they'd park? Where they'd sit? uh, How we would take care of them? How we would get to know them? How we would pray for them? And that's the issue they had. And so tonight I really want you to hear this, that just because God blesses and just because God works doesn't mean it will take problems away. God's blessings bring challenges on their own. For instance, we're building a lean-to, and that lean-to is going to cost us as much as that entire gymnasium cost us. And so the flesh in me thinks, that just makes me want to vomit. But the the pastor in me says, you got to have some place to put people. And so it's needed. It's necessary. We didn't have a choice. And so it is a challenge. But it is a challenge because of a blessing. And so this was their response in Acts chapter 6 starting in verse 3. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business." But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them." In verse 3, I want you to know a qualification for serving the Lord. Some people say these are the first deacons. Some people say these are just evangelists. It doesn't matter what we call them. We should know who God uses in these verses. It says right here in verse 3, Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation. Tonight, if you want to be used by God to make a difference in the lives of other people, your testimony matters. The life that you live matters. I cannot begin to tell you the amount of people who have come up to me and said, Jake, I think I'd love to be this or I'd love to do this or I think I should be doing this. I had an instance one time where I was uh, was talking to an individual and uh, had been counseling them and dealing with them and trying to help them in their marriage and uh, the individual said I think I should teach a marriage class and I thought absolutely not (laughs) and I don't mean that to be mean but there is no way at this point in your marriage that I would try to have you teach other people it's just not a good fit it's kind of like asking someone who's on their seventh their seventh bankruptcy to teach financial management it makes no sense and so what we see here is the testimony of your life is what we should look for. It shouldn't matter about how much money you give to the church. shouldn't matter about if you are the most smartest person. It shouldn't matter if you're the most like person. It should matter does your testimony line up. Does, do you walk the walk and talk the talk? It goes on and says full of the Holy Spirit. And as Baptists, sometimes we, we struggle with this. Right, Because uh, you read the book of Acts and you see how the Holy Spirit is working and moving. And, and there are a lot of churches that have taken this and really twisted this. But full of the Holy Spirit means be, being willing to be led by the Spirit of God. It doesn't mean that you have to have all of these flamboyant gifts and, and all of these things that are miracles. You have to be full of the Holy Spirit. That means you have to be led by the Spirit of God. That means when God leads you, guides you, and directs you, you're willing to go. If God calls you to go to someone and share the gospel, go. If God is working and moving in your life, it should be a common practice in your life to say, I don't really think I want to do that, but I really feel like the Lord wants me to. I really feel like God is leading me. Now, you have to be very careful there because I have heard a whole lot of people put that before something that god's word says not to do right i've had people say well i just feel like god doesn't want me to be married anymore i don't love my wife anymore and you know she left the the toilet seat down three times in a row and you know it just bothers me and and i just feel like the Lord's leading me in another direction well i can say the scripture says no and so we have to be very careful when that happens but the third thing is wisdom Your life should live a life of good reputation. You should be willing to be led by the Spirit of God. And you should show wisdom. Now this is very hard because all of us look at ourselves and most of us do not consider ourselves wise. We think, man, I messed this up and I I really messed this up and I've not been very good here. But you have to step back for just a moment. And wisdom really means that you have been willing to be taught And that you are living out the things of God. You say, Jake, that's the same as the first one. No. It is literally how you apply God's word to your life. That means that wisdom is knowing that sometimes it's best to keep your mouth shut. And not attend every fight that you're invited to. Sometimes wisdom is knowing when to do things and not to do things that God's word does not specifically tell you you know sometimes people will say well jake how do i know where god wants me to work the bible doesn't say thou shalt work at hobby lobby instead of wendy's right well i think you should work at hobby lobby because they don't work on sunday but that's just my personal opinion and i think those kind of decisions that people begin to make show wisdom for instance this is one that hits close to home it might upset you that's okay it just doesn't bother me anymore When you or I begin to sign up for things that take us away from church on Sunday morning, that's a lack of wisdom. It just is. You say, well, Jake, I I don't know if I agree with that. That's okay. You could be wrong. (laughs) But literally, we are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. I understand that. My wife and kids come to the first service a lot. Come to Sunday school and then leave. Go place softball on Sunday afternoon, and come home. Come home to church on Sunday night. Do I like it? Absolutely not. Do I think it's right? Some days yes, some days no. But the thing that I have refused to compromise is, is the day that my children begin to skip church on Sunday morning is the day you'll have my resignation. Because it will make me the epitome of hypocrisy. And if you won't accept it, you are foolish. Because why? It's wisdom. Wisdom. Where do families need to be together on the Lord's day? The Lord's house. Worshiping together. Does that mean you shouldn't take vacation? Or No, I understand that. But friends, wisdom is knowing how to apply God's principles when it's not specific. Those areas of your life that could be the gray areas. Those areas of your life that really, you know, could go different To know what honors God. So thoughts. Has that been the way that you have seen people be asked to serve in church in your life? I think that's one of those things that is you have to be careful. Because if the Lord shows you that you shouldn't, you shouldn't. I don't want to mow my yard any day of the week is what I've decided. (laughs) Let alone Sunday. But here's one I heard one time from an old man. And I'm not going to say his age. But when he was a boy, his dad used to say... You can wash your car in the backyard, but you can't wash your car in the front yard because I don't want other church people seeing you wash your car on Sunday. And that is one of those areas that if you felt it was wrong, don't let them wash it at all. Or if you felt it wasn't wrong, wash it. If you want to come wash my car on a Sunday, don't. But if you want to wash your car, that's fine. But the mindset of as long as other church people don't see it, That's all that matters. And friends, that's what's wrong in the church. It doesn't matter if we disagree on certain things, the little things, but we ought to be willing to live out those little things unapologetically. But yes, others. How many of you have ever been in church where you have came to the point where it says we just need someone to fill it? We've got to have somebody. It might as well be them. My motto is if God cannot raise up someone to serve, you don't need to have it. You say, well, what about vacation Bible school? If God can't raise up the workers, you shouldn't have it. If a church can't find a pastor, this is going to be difficult and this is going to be hard. Okay? Maybe God's done with it. And that's a scary thought. It's a very scary thought. You say, well, we can't find anyone to teach Sunday school. Maybe you need to consolidate. I believe the church suffers because we put people in slots just so that we can do things rather than having who God really wants us to have. And I really believe that. You say, well, Jake, we're blessed. We have hundreds and hundreds of people. We don't have that problem right now. I I know that. And it's very hypocritical for me to be saying that maybe because I'm not in a church with seven people. But all I can see is what God's word says. They found people of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, and wisdom. You say, "Well, Jake, that's pretty high for a preacher." These people weren't preaching. At this point, they were waiting on tables and handling money, <coughs> serving tables and handling money. So tonight, when we tear down tables and set them up in the in the uh, uh, whatever that building over there is called, gym. the gym. Literally waiting on tables. Serving in the simplest of capacities. But it wasn't simple because other people were involved. And friends, what we do at church is never insignificant. Because people are always involved. You say, Jake, what about the nursery? Sometimes you just got to find a person to fill a slot. That breaks my heart. Because people are bringing their most precious gift. The thing that they probably love more than anything in the whole world. A person who is unable to speak for themselves, to defend themselves, to tell anything about themselves other than pooped, maybe, maybe, right? Or potty. And they bring them to us. And the best we can find is just anybody that's walking by. You see the significance of that? You say, well, it's just the nursery. It's not just the nursery. It's a person. Same way about vacation Bible school, driving the church van. You say, well, what does that need? I mean, what's the significance of that? People are sending their children in a vehicle with someone they do not know. I don't know if you've watched the news or not, but people are not very trustworthy. And the Southern Baptist Convention just put out a report where there were over hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of reported incidences of sexual abuse on children. Pastors, deacons, Sunday school teachers, music leaders, spare no position the molestation of child. You see, friends, it matters who you have serving the Lord. And so tonight I just really want you to hear that. You say, Jake, I'd love to serve the Lord more. I'd love to step out in faith more. Then you do what God asks you to do, and God will raise you up. God will put you into places where you can serve Him. You worry about getting these things right and worry about God taking care of the rest. Other thoughts? Questions? It is. It's a challenge. Well, I can sometimes be the opposite of it. Sometimes I can get so discouraged. Someone's like, I think the Lord wants you to do this. And I'm like, nope. I don't want to do that. I literally have asked every preacher in our association, are you sure you don't want to preach church camp? Are you sure that the Lord has laid it on your heart that you want to preach church camp? And as the preacher told me today at the golf course, no, absolutely not. As the preacher at lunch told me, absolutely not. As the preacher that was sitting across from me at lunch said, absolutely not. But why? When you get frustrated and you get burnout, even though you know God wants something for you, it is easy to say, I just don't want to. I don't have the energy. I don't have the time. I... And so it can be both ways, absolutely. Amen. Amen. That's absolutely right. You know, absolutely. Pat said that'll preach. That'll will preach. It's almost like his dad's a preacher. <laughs> absolutely. Well, you hear people say that all the time. Oh, I, I was talking to a farmer that was talking about another farmer, and he's like, that farmer doesn't get upset about anything. He doesn't worry about things. He doesn't get stressed out by things. And I just can't. I, I just can't. I can't handle it like that. And they're both farm about the same amount of ground, 2,000 acres, give or take, or something like that. They're both believers, right? Both b- both go to the same church. And it's like, but he, he just really, he just has a better relationship with the Lord than I do. And I'm like, there's nothing stopping you from following the Lord that way. And we do. We look at people and we think, man, they just, they've just got it figured out. They've just... But yet the same spirit the Bible says that is in them is in me. There's only one spirit, and he comes to indwell us when we're saved. Absolutely. Is Lucas in here? Okay. Uh, Well, he had a conversation this week at the pool with a family that came to Vacation Bible School. Their child's coming to Thursday school, and they just moved into the area, and they said, that's what we're looking for. We're looking for a church church that our children can really grow and thrive and, and your church and another church are the two that we keep hearing about. And, uh, and so we would, they would like a visit from the pastor. And I'm like, well, if you really want to know about the children's program, it's probably not best to hear it from me. All right. But anyway, that's exactly the, the mindset of that. Absolutely. Any other thoughts? Okay. So the second thing I want to show you tonight is the people that God uses to teach and reach. And tonight I want to just stop here for a moment because this is a very difficult topic. Because as as Bible-believing Christians, we believe in the priesthood of the believer. That means that if you are a child of God, you have every privilege and right as any other believer. Okay? You can approach God in prayer just like Billy Graham. All right? Uh, you can approach God in prayer and have the same access through the person and work of the Holy Spirit as the greatest religious leader on the planet. You do not have to go to someone else, all right? We really believe that. The Bible teaches that unapologetically, okay? But sometimes because of that and because of the abuse that we have seen in churches from pastors and bishops and some churches call them apostles and you see them on television like T.D. Jakes that, you know, has millions of dollars and you see that and so there becomes a hatred from anything um, authoritative wise, okay? And what we see here is that God uses all people, but that God does set apart certain people for certain tasks. God calls certain people Into certain things. And so we see here, starting in verse 1 of Acts chapter 13, and you can flip over there or you can read it from the notes. Now, in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Mananan, who had been brought up with Herod the tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. You see there that God had a specific calling on the life of Barnabas and Saul. Now, does this mean that God had any less plans for anyone else mentioned in this list? Or that God loved them any less? No. But God had a specific task and a specific calling on their life. And I want you to see how it says, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul. He is specific in his calling. And I think this is very important tonight because... um, i spend a lot of time with pastors i spent a lot of time uh with with people who are trying to decide if they're going into the ministry or not going into the ministry or they're finishing college and they're trying to decide what to do with their life and uh this comes up a lot uh, i think maybe I, I don't really feel called to be a pastor but you know i think i could do it have all have at it all right um i've had people say well you know what uh uh, especially not so much in Southern Baptist churches but like in the Methodist church and the, uh, the Lutheran church the Episcopalian church uh, those churches operate in a hierarchy so they have a denominational health insurance they have denominational retirement and so it is easy to think I want that for that Baptist we don't have that it's each church and so it's a little different But I've literally had people tell me, while I wait for what I want to do, I think I can fill the pulpit. I think I can serve a church. I think I could do this. And that is not actually how God intended for that to work. God intended for him to begin calling and setting apart men for ministry. We see that here in this context. And I think that's very important because... Most churches, when they look for a pastor, they look for someone with a degree, someone with experience, someone with a proven track record, uh, someone who who has some standing on what they're doing. When I got called, I had never pastored, I'd never been to college, had no track record, and I, it's all Brzezinski's fault. He was the chairman of that committee. So if you're unhappy, take it up with him. So, huh? We you blew it? No. But, but how many times do we look for things to call someone, to follow someone, when God never told us to look for those things? He says right here, if you know anything about Saul, Saul had been persecuting Christians. He had been to the Old Testament Bible teaching, but he didn't have this great track record. God had been working and moving and using him throughout his missionary journeys. But what we see here is that God has a specific call on people's lives. And this is one of the things I have been praying about for our church. That God would call out men to pastor. Now, every guy in the church is like, oh, I hope it's not me. I don't care if you want it to be you or not. It's something God has to do. But a church of our size, God should be raising up men to preach. Amen. It's just all there is to it. Maybe that's my fault. Maybe I've not done a good job of encouraging and preaching about it, of talking about the call on someone's life. But I am telling you, we see right here that if the church is going to continue to grow, and if the church is going to continue to expand, and God is going to continue to increase, it is through the preaching of the Word. The Bible literally says, how can they hear if no one preaches? And how can they be preached to if nobody goes blessed are the feet of those who preach the gospel and so if that's going to be how god works do you think god wants to raise up people who come from churches who believe the bible who believe what salvation really is who believe the power and work of god or do you think god wants to raise up people out of cold dead liberal churches that don't even believe this is the word of god that don't even believe that jesus is the only way to heaven i don't believe that's what god wants I believe God wants to raise up people who believe the word, who believe that Jesus saves. And so I like to think that we are one of those churches. And so we should be praying as a group. God, raise up people. I think the reason I've never wanted to pray that is um, if God calls them to preach, and we've already got a preacher, that means they're probably going to have to go somewhere else. And I don't know if you know that or not. I hate that. Brad Sloan, the pastor of the First Baptist Church of Dahlgren. I don't think it's the First Baptist, it's just the Dahlgren Baptist Church, was here. He was called to preach before he got here, but was ordained here, licensed here, and God sent him to Dahlgren. And I'll be honest with you, over the last eight or nine years, I'm like, hey, you want to come back? Hey, you want to come back? He's like, no, the Lord didn't tell me to come back. I'm like, well, be that way. But but I'm glad. But it was a devastating time when they left. I'll never forget. He was a dear friend. He played the guitar and sang with Jamie and and worked in our kids' youth program. And and it was a big loss when they were gone. But you know what? God has replaced them. But as a pastor, I struggle with trusting that God will replace what he sends out. And so tonight I just want to encourage you because you might be saying, Well, I'm not called a pastor. I have dodged that bullet. Maybe God's called you to teach Sunday school. Maybe God's called you to lead women's ministry. Maybe God's called you to be a missionary. Maybe God has laid it on your heart and called you to work in the food pantry. You see, God calls and works in our lives in so many other ways. And so tonight I just really want you to know that God has a purpose and a plan to raise people up. You say, well, Jake, I'm happy where I'm at. I'm happy doing what I'm doing. I don't want to step out in faith. I don't want anything more. I'm good where I'm at. It isn't up to you. And if God calls you, it's disobedience to say no. It's a disobedience to God. Look in there verse, uh, the next one real quick. So when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And this is the first time... Uh, we see elders really start to begin to pop up. We can see it in Acts chapter 11, verse 30. And uh, it's this idea of, um, of those who handle the word of God. You see, when the church began, you see apostles. You see those people who were giving them the scriptures. But as that gift begins to fade out, God raises up preachers and teachers to handle the word of God. And so we see here that God is beginning to set forth an office, a responsibility to handle God's word. So thoughts, questions, disagreements. Um, Participation was good on the last one. Don't quit me now. I was going to quit early tonight, but if you don't participate, I'm going to drag it out for hours. I even brought extra notes just in case. it was always my dream to stand in front of people my college speech teacher literally said I don't think you're called to have a career in front of people which at the time I wasn't and I'm like not a problem I got you I'll go to Walgreens I can handle this I can clean toilets for a living right up my alley it was not a pleasant experience all right the last thing I have for tonight for you, and I'm going to try to be done quick, is God has a bigger picture and vision of the church than we can imagine. The reason that we talked about the people who serve the church and the people who teach the church is because God is going to increase the church. Look what it says in verse 27. Now when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them. And that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. A whole new group of people. The rest of the world. If you've ever looked at a map, Israel is little bitty. It is a little bitty Jewish country surrounded by enemies. And even at its heyday, under David and Solomon, Israel was a little bitty country. And so when you think about its significance, it's not numerical. It's just a small group of people. But what God does is he takes the message of salvation, the hope of forgiveness, and takes it from this little group of people and gives it to the whole world. And I think all of you are old enough to see a globe. All right? You've seen a map of the world. God's vision and purpose for the church was much bigger than they could have ever imagined. But the thing with building something is you have to have someone care for it. And I believe this is what stops churches from growing. Why they stop growing. And if you know anything about it, if you stop growing, then you begin to slowly start dying. And in the church world, it is this. When God grows you to a point Where people will not teach and serve, God will send you no more. I want you to hear that tonight. When God grows you to a place where more people will not serve and teach, God will grow you no more. Um, Leanne, you and uh, Kathy worked at the preschool for not a lot of years, uh, like I usually say. Um, But... uh, I might have said, like, combined 100 years one time, all right? My bad. I'm sorry. Sorry. But how many kids is a, is a really good number to manage in a classroom? Ten. Ten? How about with two? How many did you have at the preschool in a class? 18 to 20. to 20, right? And so, uh, Ms. Bonnie... You taught kindergarten for years and years. What's the ideal kindergarten class? 18 to, 20. 18 to 20. Now, how many do they recommend for infants? Like in a daycare. Workers for... one adult for every four babies. One adult for every four babies. Okay, I hope you know where I'm going with this. The Bible calls new believers old people in Christ. No, it calls them what? babes. We have only seen the growth of most of our churches by transfers. So people come with Bible knowledge. They come with church knowledge. Most of you combined have thousand years in church, okay? That's not bad. I don't mean that bad. There's a lot of you here tonight. That was a conservative number. But what do you do when God saves and sends you a homosexual who's never been in church? What do you do when God saves and sends a drunkard who's never been in church? What do you do when God saves an atheist who's never been in church? What do you do when God saves and you get the drift? And you have all these babes. You need people. To minister and to care for them. If DCFS has strict requirements for the care of babies, who do we think we are that God doesn't have strict requirements on babes in Christ? How many people have been saved in great moves of God? When a church was on fire, and and God was blessing, and God was working, and God was moving, and all these new people were coming in. It very rarely happens in church, but it was happening, and something happened, right? Aunt Bertha got upset because someone took her seat, right? Or, Or some old guy got unhappy because they didn't use the organ, and they fought, and they split, And all those brand-new believers did what? Just fell to the wayside. Just fell to the wayside. And so tonight, I believe that God's picture and vision of the church is bigger than we can imagine. I'm going to be specific tonight as I close my time. I believe that God's vision and picture for this church is bigger than we could ever imagine but I do not believe God will give us more than we're willing to take care of. I would love to to sell my house and move into a place that had no yard because I hate taking care of my yard. I hate it. I have like 119 trees and then my kids have something in every part of our yard that shouldn't be there. <clears throat> Shoes, toys, you name it. So I'm I'm on the zero turn, you know. I'm grooving, I'm just cruising along, having a good time. <clears throat> Softball, not a big deal. Drive along, driving along. <clears throat> Softball bat, super, awesome. Driving along, <clears> the <throat> bottom of her off. Softball net, it's the net you hit it into. You say, well maybe you shouldn't let your yard get that tall, get over it. So, <laughs> it's my yard. <laughs> it sounds like you need to open your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not really paying attention when I'm mowing. I'm like, you know, just, just out there. <laughs> but my kids are getting close to being old enough to mow. So, <laughs> but friends, I really do believe this is it. When God's people are not willing to step up and to either be servants or teachers, God says, I'm not going to send you people that you're not going to take care of. And I believe that. I believe that with all of my heart. You say, well, Jake, you can just do more. I will give you everything I've got for as long as I've got it. But, friends, it's bigger than that. The Bible says that the pastor is supposed to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. I uh, had the privilege of going over this week to St. Louis with a family that had a a family member in very bad health. And uh, it's amazing because uh, how generations view things. So people in their 70s and 80s, uh, when tragedy strikes, they want their pastor. And I'm thankful for that. And so I drove over and prayed with the families. Younger families, eh, doesn't really matter. And some of it's just because prayer works no matter where you're at. But some of it is just the change in how we have viewed the pastor. It used to be a position that we respected and trusted and and relied on. And because of so many scandals, that's changed. Right? It's just like politicians. Trust none of them. Pastors, trust none of them. Trust none of them. And I'm saying that as one. And so tonight I really want you to hear this because it might be you making that 2 a.m. hospital visit. It might be you going over to share the gospel with your neighbor kid who started to come to church that wants to be saved. It might be you that's taking food by to that family that lost a loved one. It's you. And so tonight my challenge to this group of people is where are you serving? Where are you teaching? What is God calling you to do? Because the cap for God's blessings here is us this group of people that calls 10 Mile Home.